All right, so this basic timeline of the day of war. Uh, it's broken up into three different aspects. We see the time of Jacob's distress or Jacob's trouble. This is when the, the day begins when Israel will be plundered and terrorized. This is a big aspect of the day of war um, where Israel has sinned against God and we will hold them accountable for it. And then there's a second aspect where the nations are going to be judged. Not just Israel, but the other Gentile nations. They're going to enter into the, the judgment of God as well. And then Christ will establish his messianic kingdom, his literal 1,000 year reign on earth. And then um, he will hand that kingdom over to the Father, just like we talked about in the sermon last week. We're looking at 1 Corinthians 15. And to kind of give us a brief overview of this, I want to start by looking in Zechariah. I want to look at Zechariah 14, uh, 13 and 14 are two chapters that deal with this, uh, this theme of the day of the Lord. And I want to look at Zechariah 14, 1 through 9. And hopefully we'll be able to see different aspects of this timeline in this passage. Zechariah 14, 1 through 9. Behold, the day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured, and houses plundered. The women ravished, and half of the city exiled, but the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights on the day of the battle. So we'll see in those first couple of verses, it's talking about uh, the war, the battle is going to rage against Israel. And then verse 3 says, the Lord will go forth and go fight against those nations as he fights on the day of battle. Verse 4. In that day, he will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley, so that half of the mountain will move toward the north, and the other half toward the south. You will flee by the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains will reach to Azel. Yes, he will flee just as he fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. In that day there will be no light, the luminaries will dwindle, and it will be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night. But it will come about that at evening time there will be light. So here we see the, the signs in the heavens that we, we're going to read about. We read about a little bit in Joel, talking about these um, these astronomical signs that we're going to see. And then uh, picking up in verse 8. And in that day, living water will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and the other half toward the western sea. It will be in summer as well as in winter. And the day and the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one, and his name the only one. And so there in those last couple of verses we see um, that he is great, that he has battled against Israel, he's battled against the nations, and now he's taken his seat as king and he is enthroned on earth. So there we get kind of an overview of this basic timeline of the day of the Lord. 
And last week we went through Isaiah 13 and Joel chapter 2. Uh, we talked about our hermeneutic and how that's vitally important to the way that we understand the day of the Lord and eschatology as a whole. And this week we're going to pick up in Amos chapter 5. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to Amos chapter 5. get there, get somebody to read that passage for us in the 16 through 20. We started with nothing last week, but we'll finish up today. 16 through 20? Yes, sir. <laughs> Therefore, this is what the Lord... I'm sorry, I'm trying to say it. Don't get old. Okay. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the Lord God Almighty says. There will be wailing in all the streets and cries of anguish in every public square. The farmers will be summoned to weep and the mourners to wail. There will be wailing in all the vineyards, for I will pass through your midst. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear, as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall, only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch dark without a ray of brightness? How does that sound? <laughs> Sounds great, right? Yeah. Care vacation. <laughs> what are some things we see in there? There's no light. No light. Utter darkness, right? <coughs> we see that this is speaking of the day of the Lord as a future event, right? Something that will take place. Um, all these are, are future uh, verbs that we see here. Because I will pass through the midst of you, says the Lord. Um, there is great welling and lamenting. This is not a part of it. This isn't something to look forward to. It's pretty clear that they're going to be hating and despising this time. Uh, here we see the Lord is present. Um, in her, um, once again, verse 17, I will pass through the midst of you who are longing for the day of the Lord. For what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? It will be darkness and not light. Complete and utter darkness. Again, not something that we should be looking forward to. And then, attacks and death. Where do we see attacks and death? able to flee these attacks and these death. Seems like at every single turn, they're going to encounter more attacks, more death, more pain, more suffering, all in the midst of this darkness. This is a pretty bleak picture that's being painted for us. And then, he wraps up the point, will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light, even gloom with no brightness in it. Uh, absolute bleak picture of utter destruction. Uh, again, this is a a judgment that's going to be coming against Israel before the 
the house of Israel. Um, yeah, it's a verse. But this is uh, at time of Jacob's trouble that Israel's going to be going through in the future. All right, let's turn one chapter, not one chapter, one book over to your right. Hosea uh, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. You put the Obadiah, the one chapter book. We'll be looking at Obadiah verses 15 through 21. Who's got that for us? Obadiah 15 through 21. For the day of the Lord draws near on all the nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your dwelling will return to your own tent. Because just as you drink on my holy mountain, all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and swallow and become as if they had never existed. But on Mount Zion, there will be those who escape. And it will be holy. And the house of Jacob will possess their possessions. Then the house of Jacob will be with fire, and the house of Joseph will flame. But the house of Esau will be as a stubble, for they will set on them, they will set them on fire and consume them, so that there will be no survivor of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. The nose of the Negev will possess the mountains of Esau, the nose of the Sephalahim and Philistine plain also possesses the territory of Ephraim and the territory of Samaria. And Benjamin will, will possess Gilead. And the exiles of the hosts of the sons of Israel who were among the Canaanites as far as their best. And, their, and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in um, Sephar will possess the cities of the Negev. The deliverers will ascend Mount Zion to judge the mountain of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. All right. Thanks for doing all those big words for us. My all right. pleasure. <laughs> all right. I'll call you next time we have a bunch of this. Perfect. All right. When is this taking place in, in Obadiah? This aspect of the day of war, is it past, present, or future? Future, right? You see, again, that uh, this will take place. And who is in view in these verses? House of Jacob, House of Esau. House of Jacob. Who's that House of Jacob? What does that mean? Israel, right? Remember, Jacob's name was ancient Israel. And Jacob's brother was Esau, right? And um, we see the house of Esau in view there as well. House of Jacob, house of Esau. Uh, going back to the patriarchal fathers and that blessing that God poured out or God gave to, to Abraham, that covenant he made with Abraham, and then he renewed with Isaac and Jacob. All right, so here, again, we do see the day of the Lord is future, that there is destruction for all nations. So, um, Jacob is in view there in mind, but they're not alone, right? It's Jacob plus the other nations as well. All those other nations that he so beautifully um, tried to read off for us. Edom particularly is destroyed. So <coughs> going back to the roots, Jacob and Esau, Edom and his descendants 
or Esau's descendants are known as the nation of Edom. Israel will escape. They will be saved. Um, right in line with what we've been looking at in Romans 11, um, 9, 10, and 11, that there will be a, a remnant who's going to be saved, and ultimately Israel as a whole will be saved. And we see that here, that um, though they're going to be, um, they're going to be, God is going to come against them and send others against them. They will ultimately be spared. And then we see God's kingdom. Where do we see God's kingdom in these verses? Verses 15 through 21. Yeah, right there at the end, right? The deliverers will ascend to St. Mount Zion. We looked at in Zechariah 14, St. Mount Zion. We read about in uh, Matthew 23 through 25, right? When Jesus is going to come back and um, he's going to plant his feet on the Mount of And it says at the end, the kingdom will be the Lord's. That Jesus is going to reign on his earthly kingdom and then hand it over to the Father, who is all in so all three aspects of the, the day of the Lord, again, uh, we can kind of get a glimpse of here in Obadiah 1. Any thoughts or questions on Amos or Obadiah or Zechariah or the day of the Lord so far to this point? All right. Again, it sounds pleasant, right? God draft being poured out on his chosen people and the surrounding nations, the nations who he has spread them out to, uh, and then taking back reign and establishing his kingdom. That part does sound good, but not the right part. Yeah, just. So as a church, we believe that the day of the Lord will be like the beginning of the tribulation. Is that correct? Uh, so there, there are a couple of aspects of the day of the Lord. There's a, a broad aspect of the day of the Lord and a more narrow aspect. And so in the the broad aspect of the Lord. So that's already taken place with um, past nations who have come and they've conquered and ruled over Israel. Right. And then in a, a future sense, yeah, it's going to be focused on the, the tribulation, that seven-year tribulation, and then go through even the, the millennial kingdom until um, the, the final judgment and uh, Satan is um, he's cast into hell and um, Jesus turns over his kingdom to the Father. But the narrow day of the Lord, it focuses on uh, Christ's return, on his second coming, and right. that day would be established as the, the thousand year millennium day. Oh, okay. that's what's thinking. <coughs> All right. Zephaniah. <coughs> Zephaniah. It's going to be to your right. It's going to be in the white part of the Bible that isn't touched hardly much. <laughs> Zephaniah chapter 1. We've got a bigger section here. Uh, so let's break this up a little bit. Um, who can read verses 1 through 13 for us? All right, Mike. And then 14 through 18. That's important. Who can get those verses for us? All right, Jim. And then uh, after that, will somebody wrap up the first three verses of chapter two, two, one through three? All right, Jerry's got those. 
All right, Mike, I gave you the, the big truck. Will you go ahead and read that for us, please? Sure. The word of the Lord, which came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. I will completely remove all things from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will remove man and beast. I will remove the birds of the sky, fish of the sea, and the ruins along with the wicked. I will cut off man from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. So I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off the remnant of Baal from, from this place and the names of the idolatrous priests along with the priests. And those who bow down on the housetops to the host of heaven and those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom and those who have turned back from following the Lord and those who have not sought the Lord or inquired of him. Be silent before the Lord, God, for the day of the Lord is near, for the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated his guests. Then it will come about on the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes, the king's sons, and all who clothe themselves with foreign garments. And I will punish on the day of all who leap on the temple threshold, who fill the house of their Lord with violence and deceit. On that day, declares the Lord, there will be the sound of a cry from the fish gate, a wail from the second quarter, and a loud crash from the hills. Wail, O inhabitants of the mortar, for all the people of Canaan will be silenced. All who wail, weigh out silver will be cut off. It will come about at the time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are stagnant in spirit who say in their heart, the Lord will not do good or evil. Moreover, their wealth will become plunder and their houses desolate. Yes, they will build houses, but not inhabit them, and plant vineyards, but not drink their wine. All right, that last phrase, that's the phrase that comes up a few times for our scripture, um, either positively or negatively. They will build houses and they will plant vineyards and they won't drink their wine. Sometimes it's the inverse. I think we'll even see that today. And in this whole section, again, we see that it's future, right? These are things that will happen. These are things that are going to take place. In verse 7, it says, uh, Be silent before the Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. And so, uh, following all these events, the day of the Lord will be near. Um, what do we get a sense of going on here? What is taking place? What is happening? Yeah, it's a perjury, right? Um, God saying, no, this is, this is mine. And all these idolatrous uh, nations, all these idols themselves, I'm going to get rid of them. I'm going to clean house, right? Yeah. Uh, total and utter perjury. Um, again, back in verse 4, we see that uh, it says, His hand will be stretched out against Jerusalem, against all the inhabitants, or against Judah, against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And that's where we see that, okay, it was going to cut off the remnant of Baal um, and the names of these idolatrous priests, along with the priests, he's cleaning the house, right? But it's not just going to stop there. He's going to move forward and go into um, verse 
11, well on inhabitants of the border, for all the people of Canaan will be silenced. All who weigh out silver will be cut off. So it's not just going to remain in Jerusalem. It's not a judgment that's going to remain there, but it's going to uh, permeate out and expand to, to others as well. Other thoughts on that section? It's a large group of verses we just ran through. All right, uh, 14 through 15. <clears throat> the great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lawful battlements. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. Ouch, right? All right, what are some similar aspects we see in that section that we talked about here in Amos and Obadiah? Darkness. Yeah, darkness and blue, right? Uh, a day of clouds and thick darkness. And what else? What other similarities do you see? The fire comes up pretty consistently. Yeah. And that's not, we have no reason to take that metaphorically, right? <laughs> so, a day of great pain and terror and darkness and dread, and then uh, their blood will be poured out like dust, all their flesh like dung. So this is, um, all right, for that, because they have sinned against the Lord, their blood will be poured out like dust. So again, God's clean house, this is a, a reckoning of sorts. We will all one day stand before God, but here God is coming and he's going to meet whoever's here on the earth, and he's going to exercise his justice um, here on the earth. And we see down in the, the last verse that um, it's the Lord's wrath that's being poured out. We have to always remember that, right? We don't want to be in this dualistic kind of mindset that God is the one who is loving and um, joyful and forgiving, and then Satan is the one who exercises his wrath and his vengeance and um, his destruction. Um, he does do that by the, the permissive will of God. But this is God's wrath that he's pouring out on mankind because we have sinned against him. It is his wrath and his anger that is being poured out. And that last phrase there is on all the inhabitants of the earth. So once again, this is not just uh, a time of Jacob's struggle, however, that is what is initially in view, but all the inhabitants of the earth, they are going to be recipients of the wrath of God. All right. Happy, joyful stuff, right? <laughs> we'll get that, I promise. All right. Uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Jerry? 
Gather yourselves together, yes, gather, O nation, without shame, before the decree takes effect. The day passes like the shaft before the burning anger of the Lord comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the earth, who have carried out his ordinances. Seek righteousness, seek humility, perhaps you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. So, we might wonder why we even have these sections of scripture and this, um, these prophecies about the day when we're talking about this utter destruction, this darkness, this gloom, this dread, this terror. Uh, well, this is a, a clear example as to why we have it. It's given to us so that um, there might be those who will repent, those who will turn, they will understand, they will um, rid themselves of their shame and come humbly before the Lord of all the earth, recognizing their sin against him and uh, the honor and glory that is due to him. Uh, there's a, a very clear purpose here given for why we have this this whole section, this whole book really, so that it might draw people to repentance, to humility. All right, so again, um, this section is future, all its future in mind. Um, all things removed or purged, or if you want to use Mike's terminology, God is cleaning house, right? We see that sinful Israel is judged. Again, it's time of Jacob's trouble, Jacob's distress. There's darkness and gloom. Once again, just we saw the last passages. Remember, we're piecing together different pieces of the puzzle. Like Jeremy drew this tree up here last week. We're getting these different pieces from different books, different uh, progressive revelation that we're given. We're putting it all together. And then we see that all sinners are destroyed. This is uh, leading into the the kingdom and all sinners are destroyed. So yeah. in Zephaniah um, 1, 1 through 13 it was talking about the um, said um, Yeah, this whole section. So it says right before that, against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, he will do these things. He's going to remove those false idolatrous priests, those priests who are laying claim to his name, but they're blaspheming by their actions. It was talking about like him purging his temple, right? Uh, not just the temple. It's talking about him purging the, the whole nation. Against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and against Judah. So it sounds well. It sounds like the third temple that would build too, then before this takes place, if it actually was literally targets. <coughs> yeah, I think there there is going to be a, a future temple. That's um, 
not the easiest thing to, to understand or explain why we're going to have a couple. Um, right. I'm not prepared to answer that for sure. But um, yeah, if we again piece together all the pieces, it seems as if there is going to be a couple. That couple is going to be defined. We'll get into that a little bit next week when we look at Daniel and uh, um, the abomination of desolation and then Matthew 24. Um, so yeah, there's going to be. Um, Abomination of desolation. The temple will be desolated. Uh, Christ will come back and he will purge that temple. He will purge that nation. He will purge the earth and he will establish his kingdom. All right. Anything else on Zephaniah? Well, isn't he also talking about the current state of things because he did do a partial judgment? These. Yeah, so this is the last one of the three, the, uh, what's the word? This, Zebaniah is still before the fall of Judah in 586, right? So yes, we're just talking to you. It's a partial, that, I mean, that, was, that was done at that point. Mm-hmm. And then they were returned, and then they were really destroyed in 70 AD as are still scattered. Mm-hmm. So the part of this was immediate, but the, the ultimate, the extreme part of that is still coming. Yeah, so like a lot of prophecy in scripture, there's a, a near and a far fulfillment. And we'll see that again next week or perhaps a week after we're looking at Matthew and Matthew 23, 24, 25, uh, Jesus is talking about how um, the temple is going to be destroyed. And that's going to happen, because that did happen. Um, from his perspective, it was going to happen very soon, right? In 78 as you mentioned. Um, but a lot of what he said was still pointing even farther than 78 AD. We know that again from the astronomical science that he mentions that the sun and the moon will be darkened. Um, all the stars will fall. And so there are both near and far aspects of the fulfillment. Um, you see that again in Isaiah, um, talking about for to us a, a son born, a child is given. Um, I was speaking of probably Isaiah's son, of a, a son who would be in that generation given. But we know from uh, the New Testament that, that had in view Christ himself. So there's a here, usually uh, within a generation or two fulfillment, which is um, kind of um, it's given a stamp of approval because of the near fulfillment. So again, my favorite example is looking at Jesus' words um, with the temple in mind, but also future promises because he had no way to verify or to certify that what he was saying was correct other than the fact that he was gone. They should have known that by then and listened to him. But the fact that he had correctly prophesied the destruction of the temple gave more credence and weight to what he said about the end of time. And so that same aspect of near and far, we see all throughout the Old Testament as well. All right, let's turn to the New Testament and look at Acts chapter 2, where Luke is quoting from Joel to as we looked at uh, what big event takes place in Acts chapter 2. 
where the Holy Spirit is poured out right on the church. That's what we recognize as the, the start of the church. This separate organism, separate group of people from Israel that uh, God is going to work among certain God's people. And that's the age we find ourselves in right now, the church. So Acts 2, 14 through 21. So you read that for me, please. I can read But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall see dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and turned to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, he said it's a great and magnificent day, a great and glorious day of the Lord. That's kind of surprising, right? With some of you we've been reading. <laughs> um, but there are magnificent and glorious aspects to the day of the Lord. Again, um, talking about a, a broad understanding of the day of the Lord, how that encompasses the millennial reign of Christ. Uh, things are going to be set straight and made right. So, again, we looked at this in large part when we're going through Joel, but here um, it's in the present sense. So, up until this point, we've only seen future aspects of the order. The day will be being presented in uh, a future way, but here it's being presented in the present. Though there are still obviously future aspects that are yet to be fulfilled, it's being presented presently. We see that Joel's prophecy is inaugurated in the church as a foreshadowing of the final and great day of the Lord. So. This is just kind of a sneak peek. And some of these aspects were taking place in this time in Acts chapter 2. And then clearly, as we see down in 1920, that um, there will be signs in the sky above, signs on the earth below, blood, fire, vapor, smoke, the sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood. Uh, those aspects have yet to take place. So we see the spirit being poured out. We see uh, these signs that are given of the spirit being poured out. We just got through talking about this in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, these uh, miraculous signs of the spirit and the purpose of them to validate the, the apostles and the fact that they were sent of God and to... Um, to show the unbelievers that they had the authority to speak. And then uh, we see that salvation is poured out. And this is where, this is the first time that the Holy Spirit actually indwells people 
in uh, a way that he doesn't believe that. And in the Old Testament, in that different period, he would come to go upon people, uh, which would be terrible. And you can't imagine. We see David and Saul and others who are um, there in dwell for a moment, and then they cry out, God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Or we see uh, Saul. He has this this evil, wicked spirit that is upon him and causes him to throw the spirit after David. And just he's obviously not indwelled by the Holy Spirit. You can't imagine having that uh, kind of bipolarness. I don't even know how to describe it um, because when we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, we are indwelled once and for all. He will never leave us. He is uh, with us forever. So that's sort of here in Acts chapter 2. All right, let's move to 1 Thessalonians. Let's see what Paul has to say on the subject of the day. 1 Thessalonians, we see a, a lot in those two books about the future. We'll be in there quite a bit in the kind of our eschatology study. <coughs> There are a couple of weeks we'll be looking for sure at 1 Thessalonians 4, where we read about the, the rapture and how the dead in Christ will rise first. And, uh, it's in large part because of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that we don't think that the church is going to be there during this time of the day where we will have been raptured before this happens. But here in chapter 5, we read about this time of destruction, the day of the Lord. See, I'll go ahead and read verses 1 through 11, 1 Thessalonians 5. And Paul says, Now as to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come, just like a thief in the night. While they are saying, Peace and safety, then destruction will come upon men suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman or a child, and they will not escape. Notice the, the pronouns that he's talking about, then and they and those, in that day. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. But you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath. That's a great verse, right? Another reason why we don't think the church is going to be here. God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you also are doing. So here we get into some of the positive uh, aspects of the Lord, right? That we were looking at uh, back in uh, Luke at the end of the world. So what do we see here in Paul's understanding of the day of the Lord? When is it going to take place from his perspective? In the future. And when is Paul writing in perspective to when uh, Acts chapter 2 is taking place? Is that 
before or after Acts chapter 2? After, right? So, Acts chapter 2, right? When the Holy Spirit came down, uh, when Paul wasn't saved until Acts chapter 9, right? Where he was persecuting the church. And then he started to write scripture. So, this is after Acts chapter 2, when the day of the Lord is presented in a present tense state. And Paul here is representing it as being yet future. So, um, again, a, a lot of kind of mind-bending stuff where there are different aspects, different parts of the day of the Lord that are in play. Again, when we're talking about the broad day of the Lord, that really encompasses a lot. It's talking about the wrath of God, but there's a, a narrow day of the Lord, which is talking about Christ's return in the future that is yet to come. What else do we see in this passage other than the fact that it's in the future? <coughs> I have to mention Daniel's. All right. Christ comes like a thief, right? Mm -hmm. uh, they're not going to know. They're going to be taken off guard. If we knew when a thief was going to work in, we'd stay up and do something. <laughs> Christ is going to come like a thief in the night. For believers, no matter whether you're dead or alive when it happens, you're still alive with Christ, too. So that's really important. And we see that aspect of hope, right? Uh, that we're not destined for wrath. And then verse 10, so whether we're awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Uh, there's no greater hope for the Christian than that, that we will be with him. Uh, and we don't have to wait until the day of the Lord to know that now we can live in that hope. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much the, the next thing on the schedule. It's to happen as a rapture could happen as we said we were speaking. And like I said, there will be times that uh, Jesus, those who are dead in Christ will rise up. There will be some here on earth who are still alive the instant that it happens. Yeah, we'll see that. Get into that a little bit. There will be a, a distinction, at least in the way that we refer to them. They won't be a part of the church proper because. Uh, again, the, the last time we see that the restrainer is going to be removed, the church is going to be removed. But there will be, even in this time of tribulation, this time of stress, there will be those who will come to the knowledge of Christ who will be saved from their sin. Yeah, the quote, peace and safety, it just makes me think, you know, when when the world is in a place where there's not war because everyone's trying to be completely friendly with each other and all that, then that's that's more likely when this will happen. That's what that makes me think. We've yeah. seen war continually. Then we have the other aspects about wars and rumors of wars. And, um, I think it'd be hard to pin down a, a geopolitical type scenario. Exactly. But um, they're not going to be looking for the, the coming of war. That's for sure. They're going to be twiddling their thumbs, right? Jesus is going to come back in the night. They're not going to be prepared or, or ready. But we're called to be prepared because we are sons of the light. We're sons of the day. Because we're going to be distinct and separate. But what we always do, though, is look for a man to save us. We're always, always looking for someone to solve our problems. Or at some point of us, not looking to God. But so yeah, it's part of the picture of the wars and rumors wars just make us more willing to put our own another man. Yep. 
Yeah, we'll get that in the next passage for sure. No, you're good. <laughs> we'll be saying peace and safety. Looking for that man. Absolutely. All right, so Jesus is going to come like a thief. There's going to be great destruction on people. It will be inescapable. Nothing that we can do. Um, Aside from being in Christ, right? Aside from heeding that warning back in Zephaniah to to repent and be ready. And the church is spared. That is, to me, the the most beautiful part of this whole passage, verse 9. That God has not destined us, the church, for wrath. All right. We'll leave that up for a moment, but let's go ahead and turn over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Worried about this man that many will put their hope in, the man of lawlessness. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Will somebody read for us verses 1 through 12? We got it. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. That you not be quickly shaken from your composure, or be disturbed either by a spirit, or a message, or a letter, as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. <clears throat> and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he, he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And that lawless one will be revealed, and the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one who is coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence, so that they will believe what is false, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. Another good section, right? In the previous chapter, Paul was talking about uh, how Christ is going to be revealed from heaven. And uh, throughout this whole book, we get this idea that the Thessalonians had a, a misunderstanding of when this is going to take place. Some had already said that Christ has already been revealed from heaven, this second coming of Christ. But we get a timeline of sorts given to us here in this passage. What does he say has to take place first before the before Christ is revealed in heaven? Apostasy. Verse 3, right? The apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. So those two things take place before uh, the the aspect of the day of the Lord where Christ is revealed, the, the narrow aspect of the day of the Lord where Christ comes and cleans house, right? All right, so we see, again, once, once again, that the day of the Lord is future, that the apostasy comes first. Uh, 
of falling away comes first. And then this man of lawlessness is revealed. We'll get more into that in the coming weeks. Um, going back to, again, the book of Daniel and the abomination of desolation. And then Jesus comes and destroys. Not destroys. Um, destroys. After these things take place. And truth haters are judged. Just as we've seen in past passages uh, talking about the day of the Lord. Any other thoughts on 2 Thessalonians 2? So then we'll make a first thing. This occurs after the church has been taken off, after the rapture, mm-hmm. the end of the seven-year period. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's what he talks about even in this section, about how the restrainer is going to be removed. The restrainer is <coughs> That's what he's doing. He is actively restraining sin right now. So that even though men are totally depraved, they are not as depraved as they would be mm-hmm. had they not been impacted by that restraining influence of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit, who dwells within the church, is going to be removed. And then uh, the apostasy, the man of lawlessness, revealed that Christ is going to come. Is my understanding, that, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that is when the rapture occurs, that's when Satan will enter the man of lawlessness? Or is that the three and a half years? Uh, there could be a, a period of time in between, but if there is, it's a, a short period. Okay. But yeah, the tribulation begins pretty pretty shortly after the rapture. Well, it was supposed to be that three and a half years of peace, where supposedly there was a Messiah-like type of character. That yeah, the midpoint, three and a half years. Three, three and a half years. The great and then the three and a half years of destruction and annihilation. Yeah, you know, that means it, you know, for sure. So, the and between apostasy and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Are those being looked at as two separate events, or are they in close relation? The people that talk about the apostasy has come, then the next step would be the man of lawlessness is revealed. So that's yeah. I think it has to be very thing to preach. <laughs> they're separate from one another? Well, they were separate. I mean, if somebody says that the, the apostasy has already occurred and they're presenting a man, then that man would be the man of lawlessness. Just curious if there's anything in the text that makes that one event, the apostasy is tied to the man of lawlessness. Are separate events? Um, I would see them as being connected, so I'm not absolutely sure of that. But yeah, that hand seems to connect them a little bit. Yes, there's a, so when people propose that the apostasy has already happened, and you have the problem. Yeah, not, not this apostasy, yeah, for sure. Right. <laughs> but yet, that is what is presented. Yes. Yes. So the guy that they're offering is viewed with suspicion, not with mm-hmm. a reception. 
I heard somebody last week, maybe the week before, say that uh, Christ already returned, uh, which is absolutely not true, right? Uh, and they would point back to 70 AD and say, well, this is when the temple was destroyed. Nero, he was this man of destruction, this man of lawlessness. He brought about this apostasy. And Christ returned in his wrath and destruction and poured it out and those are not people that we should be listening to. So, so what happened to him after that? Um, get tired? <laughs> yeah, that's why we have to go back to our before we get into this stuff. We have to approach the text in a certain specific way for us. We have to place it like that where we're spiritualizing and allegorizing things to make it say what it clearly does not say. All right, let's look at one more passage in 2 Peter 3, 3 through 13. 2 Peter 3, 3 through 13, and when somebody gets there, go ahead and read that for us. destruction, there will be um, this kingdom that leads into an eternal state. 
And so again, this is a, a future understanding of the day of the Lord. Um, several aspects we see here that this is going to take place in the last days. This is speaking of Christ coming when he's going to pour out his wrath. We see judgment, destruction, cosmic signs in the heavens, and this fire that destroys. Many of the same aspects we've seen in earlier passages. This is, once again, now way past um, Acts chapter 2 and the coming of the Holy Spirit, and it's still being spoken of as any thoughts or questions on that before we wrap up on any of the, the day of the Lord we covered? I'd just like to point out that this is being spoken to the church, right? Yeah. And he's writing to the church and talking to the church, and this is God's words towards the church, so it says, not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. We're talking says about he is patient towards you. Yes, a specific yeah. group of people. Not all. Yeah, not so you. And so it's those who are of the church but haven't come to save the faith yet, right? They're predestined to, but they haven't done it yet. Yeah. That's why he is patient. Yeah. So that the fullness of the Gentiles can come and praise God for that, or else we wouldn't be here. Amen. Praise God indeed. Oh, also, we are the people of the promise. So, yes, perfect. All right, next week we're going to be, be getting into Daniel 9, Matthew 24, 2 Thessalonians 2, which we already looked at, um, this aspect of who is this man of lawlessness, um, what is this abomination of desolation, um, many, many more things to come. So we'll wrap up there for now. Let's go ahead and pray. God, we thank you again for the, the promise, for the prophecies that we have in Scripture, even that are future for us. We thank you that uh, for those who are in Christ, we will not see this day of destruction. We were not prepared for destruction, but we were prepared for um, for our hope and our glory to be in you, that we will be removed with your strength. God, we thank you for the hope that we have in your coming, that we will one day be with you. Uh, we will bring with you, we will see you face to face. There will be no more tears, no more crying, no more weeping. Uh, God, we pray for those around us who uh, have not yet come to you, those who you are being patient for, God, give us the words to say and the fullness of speaking plans so that they too may escape this great and terrible day of your judgment. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Amen.